Hello, my name is Michael. And I'm Joe. And this is Interfilm Recommends, a regular podcast exploring new and classic titles for film club leaders to use with your clubs. Today's podcast is for primary clubs. Our featured film is Pixar's Finding Dory, new on DVD this week. And we'll also be looking at two films from our new successful sequels film list before highlighting a couple of new in cinema titles. So let's kick off with Finding Dory. So Finding Dory, as the title suggests, is the sequel to the much-loved Finding Nemo, 13 years after the original. It sees the forgetful blue tanfist now living happily in the reef with Marlin and Nemo a year after the events of the first film. Dory is working as a teaching assistant in Nemo's stall until she suddenly remembers that she has a birth family of her own somewhere who are looking for her. So she recruits Marlin, Nemo and a host of new faces to join her on a journey across the ocean to try and track them down. The problem is she can't remember where they are. Here's a clip. Can I help you? <laughs> I'm sorry, did I forget again? See, I suffer from short-term memory loss. So how can you remember you have a family if you have short-term memory loss? Good question, good question. See, I can remember some things because, well, uh, they make sense. Like, um, what? Well, I, I have a family. I, I know because I've, you know, I must have come from somewhere, right? Everyone has a family, and I may not remember their names and what they look like, and I may not even be able to ever find them again. But, um, what were we talking about? Mommies and daddies. Mommies and daddies, right? So, as that clip um, suggested, the, what the, one of the things that the film does, um, like many sequels, is to introduce a host of new characters, doesn't it? Yeah, so we've got um, an octopus, or rather a septopus, named Hank. Uh, we've got uh, Bailey and Destiny, who... Are they mm. both whales? Destiny certainly is. Well, Destiny is a whale shark. Whale shark. So, almost. Um, she's a nearsighted whale shark, which makes for... Lots of fun visual dads as he repeatedly crashes into various tanks. Um, and Baby is indeed a whale, yes. Um, We've got a couple of seals as well. So Idris Elba and um, uh, Dominic West play the seal. Very, very funny, the scenes with them. So That's right, yeah. Very, lots of very dry humour there, isn't there? It's, um, I mean, it's fair to say Hand is the most prominent of the new characters. Um, he's quite a um, cantankerous fellow, it's fair to say. Um He's lost one of his tentacles, um, but he's not looking for any friends. He's, he just wants an easy life, and he just wants to be left alone in his tank um, and get on with life as he sees fit. But when Dory enters um, the tank, um, things take a slightly different turn, it's fair to say. Yeah, he's sort of, he's, he's how uh, Marlon was, in the particularly in the first film. I mean, he still yeah. is in the second film, so he is, he doesn't want to be, you know, dragged along for this ride, and he, you know, in the, Marlon in the first film just wants to find his son. Hank just wants to um, go to quarantine, I think it is, yes. for a, you know a nice, mm. peaceful, uh, relaxing life. But Dory's infectious personality and her spontaneity always tends to rub off on on the people she encounters. Do you know why Hank only has seven legs or tentacles? I don't. Uh, no, he has seven tentacles because the animators were originally trying to do it with eight, but they couldn't make it look convincing. So they spoke to the director, Andrew Stanton, um, to see if um, he would accept a septopus. And he loved the idea. And what it does, actually, is it builds into the more general theme that's going on in the film, which is one around disability. So we've got Hank with his um, you know, missing tentacle. We've got uh, Bailey, who's nearsighted. And Dory herself, of course, who suffers from short-term memory loss. Um, and all of these things are dealt with very sensitively in the film. And it's yet another example of Pixar 
introducing complex themes and ideas to young people through their fabulous animations. Yeah, so in this, for, for these characters, they have to work out how they can, um, you know, overcome certain obstacles and how they can, mm. you know, use others to their advantage. Um, certainly in the case of Dory, um, she, you know, other characters talk about what would Dory do and, and they use her as a template for... Uh, as a, a power for good, really. So her her spontaneity, as we've talked about, becomes mm. something that is cherished and is treasured and, and other people want to replicate that in their own actions. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it's very much about what memory means to us and the role it plays in our relationships, I think. And it's a really touching film for that. Um, we should also say it's also very, very funny as well, as you would expect from Pixar. There's loads of brilliant sight dads in there. Um, there's a lovely environmental message in there as well. But I think what ultimately signs through is that sunny disposition of Dory herself and that what would Dory do message. Which, um, Absolutely. And we get to see her as a very uh, tiny child or as a baby baby fish. And those are adorable scenes. And it's, it's a real charming film, isn't it? We, yeah, it is. It is. Um, lots of very cute characters as well. And um, no scary shots in this one as well. Hmm. So moving on to look at the uh, film list more generally, um, it's on the Interfilm website now and it's full of some of our favourite examples of what we think are some of the most successful sequels ever made. Um, Mainstream film is seemingly dominated by sequels and they're often derided for being lazy and unoriginal, um, but they can also be opportunities to expand on stories and characters and filmmaking ambition in ways that are only hinted at in earlier films. Um, they can take things in wildly different directions or build on previous ideas and follow quickly on from an earlier film or take many years um, to reappear, like Finding Dory. Uh, we picked out a couple more of our favourites, starting with Shrek 2. Yeah, so uh, Shrek 2 is another animated uh, sequel from 2004. I think Shrek was 2001. Uh, going off memory, yes, and um, and this is just uh, essentially well, it's, it's a use certificate, I should say, and it is a five plus on a website. A um, little bit of rude humour, but generally um, suitable for uh, you know everyone really, but particularly the younger ones, um, primary age students, um, and it continues the adventures of uh, Shrek and Fiona, um, and in this case, you know, again we do see uh, it builds on the world and adds other characters. But here, they, um, their romance is tested because they must meet uh, Fiona's parents as a couple and uh, not exactly everything goes to plan. So here's a little clip from the start of the movie. Enough, Reggie. <clears throat> Dearest Princess Fiona, you are hereby summoned to the kingdom of far, far away for a royal ball in celebration of your marriage, at which time the king will bestow his royal blessing upon you and your, uh, uh, Prince Charming. Okay, so as you can hear there, um, there's there's already some comedy in that clip. It's very funny. And uh, there's also some surprise from the messenger. So when he meets uh, not only Shrek, but Fiona in her new form from the end of uh, the previous film. 
uh, he is, yeah, he's he's surprised, and that sets up the sort of the tone that we're going for and the challenges that they face. Really, you know, do they yeah. do they want to? It's very, very much about image and identity, isn't it? Absolutely. And what is interesting about this one is, I think the first film is about Fiona's struggles with identity, her identity particularly, and who does she want to be, what does she see herself as, uh, things like that. This one is actually more about Shrek's point of view mm. um and he needs to learn to you know love himself as he is he does flirt with the idea of becoming a human to please fiona potentially to please her family um so it is nice that they flipped that and we get to experience um another you know the emotions of another character in, in that in that yeah regard. definitely i mean the idea of learning to love who you are that's very much a theme that you get in lots of animations and it's in finding dory too and it's very much in threat um, absolutely. Um, loads of new characters again. So we've got the Tin and Queen, played by uh, John Cleese and Julie Andrews, respectively. Um, a rather sleazy Prince Charming. Uh, but I think most notably, we've got the adorable, or seemingly adorable, because he's actually quite a nasty piece of work in many ways, Pushing Boots. Little ninja or something, isn't he? He is. Indeed, he's a Zorro-type figure, I think. Yeah. He's playing so... on Antonio Banderas, who obviously played Master Zorro, Um in the live action film um, of the late nineties, um, and yeah, and he he gets his own spin off. He does, himself. yes, absolutely. Which is another aspect of the sequels, which we're not touching so much on in this one, but very much you know in the vein of Fantastic Beasts or something like that. The the world of the spin off. Um, I think it's always interesting if uh, a franchise. Um, sets itself apart for being known for something and in mm. the case of Shrek and Shrek 2 the soundtrack plays a huge part and it's one of the yeah. things we remember the most I think very poppy soundtrack isn't it yeah it just perfectly captures the the, um, the tone of the piece though and, it, and they you know the songs are inserted at exactly the right moments and you usually got some really uh, funny visual gags then accompanying mm. them so Accidentally in Love is a, a song that I solely associate with Shrek 2 I have to say um, you've got Changes, Holding Out for a Hero, Funky Town, a few others. Uh, much like you know the first Shrek, it, it really does own its soundtrack and it, it uses yeah. it really well. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think actually what this film is doing is it's not trying to reinvent the wheel from the first Shrek. It's one of those examples of sequels that are, is just giving the audience more of the same, but you know, in a slightly bigger and better way, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but it's you know it's not trying to go too far in another direction it's taken what has already become a big hit and understands its audience and just gives them more of what they want yeah really. it builds on the world it's created yeah. it, uh, it uses those characters really nicely and um it is a bit of a favourite of mine, actually. I think it's you know it it's influenced things like Enchanted and Into the Woods and all these new fairy tale films that want to have yeah. their own fresh spin on on the fairy tale universe, as it were. But um, you know, a lot of that came from Shrek. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's I'd forgotten how sweet and funny it is. It's been a long time since I've seen it now, but um, all of the fairy tale references, the slightly rude humour, but nothing that you'd be concerned about showing to young people. It's a really fabulous film and um, one I think that all ages can appreciate. So moving on to discuss our final film, um, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which is the third film in the Boy Wizard franchise. Um, and in this instalment, our young hero Harry is now midway through his studies at Hogwarts. Um, the story set up, uh, centres on escaped prisoner Sirius Black, who everyone fears has been sent by Lord Voldemort to kill Harry. Here's a clip. What happened to me? Well, you sort of went rigid. 
We thought maybe you were having a fit or something. And did either of you two, you know, pass out? No. I felt weird, though. Like I'd never be cheerful again. But someone was screaming. A woman. No one was screaming, Harry. So, as that clip alluded to there, the threat is very much on the increase in this film, isn't it? It's a slightly darker film than the previous instalments. Yeah, so that's when we're introduced to the Dementors, and uh, we're not quite sure at this point what exactly they are, I don't think, and whether they're good, whether they're evil, what purpose they serve, and it Mm. seems to be one of protection, but um, certainly Harry doesn't react to them very well at all there. And uh, they're not the only thing in the film either. We, you know, that uh, that is, um, you've got Sirius Black, who is seen to be the um, the uh, main sort of villain, I guess. Although I have to say, the mm. the conclusion of the film it has a very interesting uh, sort of storytelling device in that there's it's not a big final showdown as such. It takes a different turn. That's so I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, but Voldemort is lingering away somewhere in the background. Um, that, you know, there are other uh, themes um, yeah. at the forefront so as well. I think it's, I think more than anything, it's just a slightly more relaxed film than the first two. It's, you know, lots of film franchises like Harry Potter have a lot to do in their early films. They have to introduce all of the characters. They have to set the world. They have to reassure fans of which are millions that, you know, everything is okay, that the films are in safe hands. Um, and I think the film's... The first two films did that fairly successfully, but in this film, they're a bit more confident and they're not tied quite so rigidly to the books as the previous films and they're able to spread their wings a bit more in what they can do um, and add, for my money, some massive real genuine magic to to the story. Hmm. And it starts to take a bit more of a... I mean, not only... We're following this growing up arc anyway, so things are bound to change, but they take a new direction on and off the screen. There's... Um, uh, is it Richard Harris? Yes. Who is no longer playing Dumbledore, sadly, but um, we have... Uh, Michael Gambon. Michael Gambon, that's right, mm. as, the, as the new Dumbledore here. And we have uh, Alfonso Cuaron uh, as the director, which is a, an incredible uh, and a very bold choice, um, particularly retrospectively, actually. But, you know, this is a director who has since gone on to do films like Children of Men and Gravity, um, both more adult, it must be said. Yeah, um, but no, he's a real visual genius, I think, actually. Um, he, previously to Harry Potter, he had done um, the film adaptation of A Little Princess, which you might have watched in your clubs. Um, he also did um, a very good version of Great Expectations with Gwyneth Paltrow, set in New York. Um, and slightly more adult, so hopefully not in your film clubs, is um, E.T. Mama Tambien, but that's very much one for the adults only. But um, even though, you know, this film is more, a bit, you know, is darker, it's more challenging at times, but it's still a PG, we still think it's suitable for 7+, plus. Um, because those everyday themes are still there. We have friendship, we have that sense of adventure, uh, it is still about the... Uh, not so much about school necessarily, but about those main three characters still. Yeah, so one of the things that Quaron does really successfully, I think, is take the main children out of school uniform for a lot of the time and they're in much more everyday clothes, which makes them much easier to relate to, I think. You know, you could accuse the first two films of rather, you know, rigidly sticking to a formula of trudging along from one school class to another. 
um, in a slightly episodic manner, but this one is much more free-flowing. The dialogue is much more relaxed. I think the performances are better. The, you know, the young actors are growing into their roles much more successfully. Um, and yes, but you do have this increased threat, threat as well. So you've got the Dementors and Sirius Black and Voldemort. But perhaps the biggest uh, looming threat is that of puberty, um, which is very much something that's starting to preoccupy the um, Harry, Ron and Hermione. A bigger threat than Voldemort? Uh, I would say so. So we've got... Uh, well, I think what it does really nicely, actually, is it, it has the lightness of the first couple of films and the darkness of the you know the remainder. So it has yeah. the best of both worlds, and that is a really yeah. lovely combination. Yeah, it's very much a, a transition film between the lighter films that we've seen previously and the darker films as well, which we should point out are 12s. So yeah. if any of the young audiences watch these and get hooked... Then you know, they have to wait a little while. Okay, so let's now look at some new in cinema titles. So we've got a couple that we really recommend very highly indeed. And mine is Moana. Now, this is the second uh, animated release of the year from Disney after Zootropolis earlier than in the year, which is uh, just an absolutely wonderful film. Uh, Moana is a PG. Uh, it was released on the 2nd of December, so already in cinemas, but it will be playing for a while longer, I'm sure. Um, certainly over the Christmas period and beyond, it's set to be uh, very, very popular. And it tells a culturally specific story about uh, all about tradition and folklore. And uh, Moana's a very courageous teenage girl, and she defies her well-meaning family in order to fulfil her ambition of uh, sailing on the wild ocean. So it has a strong female character at its heart, uh, set in the um, Pacific Islands, and you know it follows on from films like Frozen and Tangled that also have these uh, strong female characters. It's very uplifting. It's got lovely music. Uh, two or three, um, you know, originally composed tracks in particular will will do really well. Are very poppy and. Uh, yeah, just a really great fit. Um, and it also has superb animation. Um, it's very much like something like Kubo and the Two Strings, another brilliantly uh, animated film from earlier this year. Uh, but the you know the, the ocean and everything else is has wonderful detail, and, and I'd really, really recommend it. I think it's going to do... Um, I think kids will absolutely love it. Sounds great. My recommendation is The Eagle Huntress, which is a youth certificate. It's released in... Um, London on the 16th of December and getting a wider release around the country on the 23rd. This is a really, really fantastic documentary. It tells the story of a young girl called Isolpan who lives in the remote mountains of Mongolia with her family and her ambition is to become an eagle hunter like her father um, and which would make her the first female in 12 generations of her family to do so. And it follows her path as she finds the eagle and trains with it and it's just a really beautiful, spectacular story. It's one of the most visually captivating documentaries I think I've ever seen at the cinema. And it really opens up um, a culture which is probably alien to all of us in ways that are really accessible and intimate and inspiring. And I think it's particularly wonderful for any young people who perhaps have never seen a documentary before, particularly if they've never seen one in a cinema. I think they would absolutely fall in love with the medium and Isolpan herself. She's just a wonderful force of nature and it's a really lovely film. And like Moana, it fits into this ongoing trend which happily seems to be developing, which is about empowering stories 
for young women in challenging circumstances. So as well as these two, you've also got Queen of Catway or other documentaries like Sunita and he named Moon Malala. Um, it's a really, really beautiful film, so do try and check it out if you can. We've got interviews for um, Moana and Deedle Huntress, along with resources and blogs um, on the Interfilm website, so do go and check those out. Um, we also have some screenings for the Eagle Huntress, um, preview screenings between the 13th and 15th of December, um, taking place around the country. So if you're very, very quick when you're listening to this podcast, do go and have a look on the Interfilm website and see if there is one near you, because it's a great opportunity. Yeah, it really is. Uh, that's everything for today, our final episode before Christmas as well, but you can check out all of our previous podcasts on SoundCloud, and they each have show notes which link to resources including film guides, film lists, blogs, and video content. Absolutely, so thank you very much for listening, and we will see you in the new year. Bye.